Chapter Eleven of Adam Bede. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Adam Bede by George Eliot. Chapter Eleven. In the Cottage. It was but half past four the next morning when Dinah, tired of lying awake, listening to the birds and watching the growing light through the little window in the garret roof, rose and began to dress herself very quietly, lest she should disturb Lisbeth. But already someone else was astir in the house, and had gone downstairs, preceded by Dip. The dog's pattering step was a sure sign that it was Adam who went down. But Dinah was not aware of this, and she thought it was more likely to be Seth, for he had told her how Adam had stayed up working the night before. Seth, however, had only just awakened at the sound of the opening door. The exciting influence of the previous day, heightened at last by Dinah's unexpected presence, had not been counteracted by any bodily weariness, for he had not done his ordinary amount of hard work, and so when he went to bed it was not till he had tired himself with hours of tossing wakefulness that drowsiness came, and led on a heavier morning sleep than was usual with him. But Adam had been refreshed by his long rest, and with his habitual impatience of mere passivity, he was eager to begin the new day and subdue sadness by his strong will and strong arm. The white mist lay in the valley. It was going to be a bright warm day, and he would start to work again when he had had his breakfast. There's nothing but what's bearable as long as a man can work, he said to himself, the nature o' things doesn't change, though it seems as if one's own life was nothing but change. The square of four is sixteen, and you must lengthen your lever in proportion to your weight, is as true when a man's miserable as when he's happy, and the best o' working is, it gives you a grip hold of things outside your own lot. As he dashed the cold water over his head and face, he felt completely himself again, and with his black eyes as keen as ever and his thick black hair all glistening with the fresh moisture, he went into the workshop to look out the wood for his father's coffin, intending that he and Seth should carry it with them to Jonathan Burgess and have the coffin made by one of the workmen there so that his mother might not see and hear the sad task going forward at home. He had just gone into the workshop when his quick ear detected a light rapid foot on the stairs, certainly not his mother's. He had been in bed and asleep when Dinah had come in, in the evening, and now he wondered whose step this could be. A foolish thought came and moved him strangely, as if it could be Hetty. She was the last person likely to be in the house, and yet he felt reluctant to go and look 
and have the clear proof that it was someone else. He stood leaning on a plank he had taken hold of, listening to sounds which his imagination interpreted for him so pleasantly that the keen strong face became suffused with the timid tenderness. The light footstep moved about the kitchen, followed by the sound of the sweeping brush, hardly making so much noise as the lightest breeze that chases the autumn leaves along the dusty path, and Adam's imagination saw a dimpled face, with dark bright eyes and roguish smiles looking backward at this brush, and a rounded figure just leaning a little to clasp the handle. A very foolish thought, it could not be Hetty, but the only way of dismissing such nonsense from his head was to go and see who it was, for his fancy only got nearer and nearer to belief while he stood there listening. He loosened the plank and went to the kitchen door. "'How do you do, Adam Bede?' said Dinah, in her calm treble pausing from her sweeping and fixing her mild grave eyes upon him. I trust you feel rested and strengthened again to bear the burden and heat of the day. It was like dreaming of the sunshine and awaking in the moonlight. Adam had seen Dinah several times, but always at the hall farm, where he was not very vividly conscious of any woman's presence except Hetty's and he had only in the last day or two begun to suspect that Seth was in love with her, so that his attention had not hitherto been drawn towards her for his brother's sake. But now her slim figure, her plain black gown, and her pale serene face impressed him with all the force that belongs to a reality contrasted with a preoccupying fancy. For the first moment or two he made no answer, but looked at her with the concentrated, examining glance which a man gives to an object in which he has suddenly begun to be interested. Dinah, for the first time in her life, felt a painful self-consciousness. There was something in the dark, penetrating glance of this strong man so different from the mildness and timidity of his brother Seth. A faint blush came, which deepened as she wondered at it. This blush recalled Adam from his forgetfulness. I was quite taken by surprise. It was very good of you to come and see my mother in her trouble, he said, in a gentle, grateful tone, for his quick mind told him at once how she came to be there. I hope my mother was thankful to have you, he added, wondering rather anxiously what had been Dinah's reception. Yes, said Dinah, resuming her work. She seemed greatly comforted after a while, and she's had a good deal of rest in the night, by times. She was fast asleep when I left her. Who was it took the news to the whole farm? said Adam, his thoughts reverting to someone there. He wondered whether she had felt anything about it. It was Mr. Irwine, the clergyman, told me, and my aunt was grieved for your mother when she heard it, and wanted me to come, and so is my uncle. I'm sure 
Now he's heard it, that he was gone out to Rosita all yesterday. They'll look for you there as soon as you've got time to go, for there's nobody round that half but what's glad to see you. Dinah, with her sympathetic divination, knew quite well that Adam was longing to hear if Hetty had said anything about their trouble. She was too rigorously truthful for benevolent invention, but she had contrived to say something in which Hetty was tacitly included. Love has a way of cheating itself consciously, like a child who plays at solitary hide-and-seek. It is pleased with assurances that it all the while disbelieves. Adam liked what Dinah had said so much that his mind was directly full of the next visit he should pay to the whole farm, when Hetty would perhaps behave more kindly to him than she had ever done before. But you won't be there yourself any longer, he said to Dinah. No, I go back to Snowfield on Saturday, and I shall have to set out to Treddleston early, to be in time for Oakbourne Carrier so I must go back to the farm to-night, that I may have the last day with my aunt and her children. But I can stay here all to-day, if your mother would like me, and her heart seemed inclined towards me last night. Ah, then, she's sure to want you to-day. If mother takes to people at the beginning, she's sure to get fond of them. But she's a strange way of not liking young women." though, to be sure, Adam went on, smiling. Her not liking other young women is no reason why she shouldn't like you. Hitherto Jip had been assisting at this conversation in motionless silence, seated on his haunches, and alternately looking up in his master's face to watch its expression and observing Dinah's movements about the kitchen. The kind smile with which Adam uttered the last words was apparently decisive with Jip of the light in which the stranger was to be regarded, and as she turned round after putting aside her sweeping brush, he trotted towards her and put up his muzzle against her hand in a friendly way. "'You see, Jip bids you welcome,' said Adam, "'and he's very slow to welcome strangers.' "'Poor dog,' said Dinah, patting the rough grey coat. "'I've a strange feeling about the dumb things as if they wanted to speak, "'and it was a trouble to em because they couldn't. "'I can't help being sorry for the dogs always, "'though perhaps there's no need, "'but they may well have more in them "'than they know how to make us understand, "'for we can't say half what we feel with all our words.' Seth came down now, and was pleased to find Adam talking with Dinah. He wanted Adam to know how much better she was than all other women. But after a few words of greeting, Adam drew him into the workshop to consult about the coffin, and Dinah went on with her cleaning. By six o'clock they were all at breakfast, with Lisbeth in a kitchen as clean as she could have made it herself. The window and door were open, and the morning air brought with it a mingled scent of southern wood, thyme, 
and sweet briar from the patch of garden by the side of the cottage. Dinah did not sit down at first, but moved about, serving the others with the warm porridge and the toasted oat cake, which she had got ready in the usual way, for she had asked Seth to tell her just what his mother gave them for breakfast. Lisbeth had been unusually silent since she came downstairs, apparently requiring some time to adjust her ideas to a state of things in which she came down like a lady to find all the work done, and sat still to be waited on. Her new sensations seemed to exclude the remembrance of her grief. At last, after tasting the porridge, she broke silence. "'Ye might have made the porridge worse,' she said to Dinah. "'I can eat it without its turning my stomach. "'It might have been a trifle thicker, and no harm, "'and I always put in a spring of mint in myself. "'But how's ye to know that? "'The lads arena like to get folks as I'll make their porridge, "'as I've made it for em. "'It's well if they get on body as I'll make porridge at all.' but ye might do with a bit o' showin', for ye're a stirrin' body in a morning, and ye've a light heel, and ye've cleaned the house well enough for a makeshift. Makeshift, mother, said Adam. Why, I think the house looks beautiful. I don't know how it could look better. Thee dostna know. Nah, how's thee to know? The men near know whether the floor's clean or cat-licked, but thee'll know when thee gets thy porridge burnt, as it's like enough to be when I'm gin, or makin' it. Thee think thy mother wore good for something then. Dinah said, Seth, do come and sit down now and have your breakfast. We're all served now. Aye, come and sit ye down, do, said Lisbeth, and ate a morsel. You'd need, arter being up, on your legs this hour and a half already. Come then, she added, in a tone of complaining affection, as Dinah sat down by her side. I'll be low for you go, but you canna stay much longer, I doubt. I could put up with you in the house better nor with most folks. I'll stay till tonight if you're willing, said Dinah. I'd stay longer only I'm going back to Snowfield on Saturday, and I must be with my aunt to-morrow. Ah, I'd near go back to that country. My old man come from that Stonyshire side, but he left it when he were a young un, and I the right on too, for he said as there war no wood there, and it ought to have been a bad country for a carpenter. I said Adam, I remember father telling me when I was a little lad that he made up his mind if ever he moved it should be southward. But I'm not so sure about it. Bartle Massey says, and he knows the south, as the northern men are a finer breed than the southern, harder-headed and stronger-bodied, and a deal taller. And then he says in some of those counties it's as flat as the back of your hand and you can see nothing of a distance without climbing up the highest trees. I couldn't abide that. I like to go to work by a road that'll take me up a bit of a hill, and see the fields for miles round me, 
and a bridge or a town, or a bit of steeple here and there. It makes you feel the world's a big place, and there's no other men working in it with their heads and hands besides yourself. I like the hills best, said Seth, when the clouds are over your head, and you see the sun shining ever so far off over the Loamford Way, as I've often done o' late on the stormy days. It seems to me as if that was heaven where there's always joy and sunshine, though this life's dark and cloudy. Oh, I love the stony shire side, said Dinah. I shouldn't like to set my face towards the countries where they're rich in corn and cattle, and the ground so level and easy to tread, and to turn my back on the hills where the poor people have to live such a hard life and the men spend their days in the mines away from the sunlight. It's very blessed on a bleak cold day when the sky is hanging dark over the hill to feel the love of God in one's soul and carry it to the lonely, bare, stone houses where there's nothing else to give comfort. Eh, said Lisbeth, that's very well for you to talk, as looks welly like the snowdrop flowers has you lived for days and days when I'm gibbered em with nothing but a drop o' water and peep o' daylight. But the hungry folks had better leave the hungry country. It makes less mouths for the scant cake. But she went on, looking at Adam. Donna thee talk o' goin' southern or northern, and leaving thy father and mother either churchyard, and going to a country as they know nothing on. I'll near rest on my grave if I donna see thee, I'd churchyard of a Sunday. Donna fear, mother, said Adam, if I hadn't made up my mind not to go, I should have been gone before now. He had finished his breakfast now, and rose as he was speaking. What art going to do? asked Lisbeth. Set about thy father's coffin? No, mother, said Adam. We're going to take the wood to the village and have it made there. Nah, my lad, nay. Lisbeth burst out in an eager, wailing tone. Thee won't not let nobody make thy father's coffin but thy sin. Who'd make it so well? And him as knowed what good work wore, and got a son as it is the head of the village, and all treadles on too for cleverness. Very well, mother, if that's thy wish, I'll make the coffin at home. But I thought thee wouldst no like to hear the work going on. And why shouldn't I like it? It's the right thing to be done. And what's liking got to do with? It's choice o' mislikings is all in got a eye this world. One morsel's as good as another when your mouth's out of taste. Thee mun set about it now this morning, first thing. I want to have nobody to touch the coffin but thee. Adam's eyes met Seth's, which looked from Dinah to him rather wistfully. No, mother, he said, I'll not consent, but Seth shall have a hand in it too, if it's to be done at home. I'll go to the village this forenoon, because Mr. Burge will want to see me, and Seth shall stay at home and begin the coffin. I can come back at noon, and then he can go. Nay, nay, persisted Lisbeth, beginning to cry. 
in set my heart on as thee shalt mar thy father's coffin. Thee so stiff and masterful. Thee near do as thy mother wants thee. Thee was often angered with thy father when he were alive. Thee must be the better to him now he's gone. He'd have thought nothing on to for Seth to mar's coffin. Say no more, Adam, say no more, said Seth gently, though his voice told that he spoke with some effort. Mother's in the right. I'll go to work and do thee stay at home. He passed into the workshop immediately, followed by Adam, while Lisbeth, automatically obeying her old habits, began to put away the breakfast things, as if she did not mean Dinah to take her place any longer. Dinah said nothing, but presently used the opportunity of quietly joining the brothers in the workshop. They had already got on their aprons and paper caps, and Adam was standing with his left hand on Seth's shoulder, while he pointed with the hammer in his right to some boards which they were looking at. Their backs were turned towards the door by which Dinah entered, and she came in so gently that they were not aware of her presence till they heard her voice saying, Seth Bede. Seth started, and they both turned around. Dinah looked as if she did not see Adam, and fixed her eyes on Seth's face, saying with calm kindness, I won't say farewell. I shall see you again when you come from work, so as I'm at the farm before dark, it will be quite soon enough. Thank you, Dinah. I should like to walk home with you once more. It'll perhaps be the last time. There was a little tremor in Seth's voice. Dinah put out her hand and said, You'll have sweet peace in your mind today, Seth, for your tenderness and long-suffering towards your aged mother. She turned round and left the workshop as quickly and quietly as she had entered it. Adam had been observing her closely all the while, but she had not looked at him. As soon as she was gone, he said, I don't wonder at thee for loving her, Seth. She's got a face like a lily. Seth's soul rushed to his eyes and lips. He had never yet confessed his secret to Adam, but now he felt a delicious sense of disburdenment as he answered, Aye, Addie. I do love her too much, I doubt. But she doesn't love me, lad, only as one child of God loves another. She'll never love any man as a husband, that's my belief. Nay, lad, there's no telling, thee mustn't lose heart. She's made out of stuff with a finer grain than most of the women. I can see that clear enough, but if she's better than they are in other things, I cannot think she'll fall short of em in lovin'. No more was said. Seth set out to the village, and Adam began his work on the coffin. God help the lad, and me too, he thought, as he lifted the board. We're like enough to find life a tough job, hard work inside and out. It's a strange thing to think of a man as can lift a chair with his teeth and walk fifty mile on end, trembling and turning, hot and cold, at only a look from one woman, 
out of all the rest i the world. It's a mystery we can give no account of, but no more we can of the sprouting of a seed, for that matter. End of chapter 11